0: Welcome in ladies and gentlemen to MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about, and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome in on this beautiful Tuesday evening live here on the Film Guy Network. I am yours truly, Brooks Austin. That's probably the weirdest way I'm introduced in NBR segment. Before, welcome in. we got a loaded show for you guys tonight. We're going to take a look at what might be the most hostile environment the University of Georgia has played in under Kirby Smart. That sounds crazy. We're going to take a look at it. I know he's been there like seven years, but... You ain't played in a lot of these, and you're going to play in one coming up this year in a rather unique situation. So we're going to talk about that and preview that. I know we're way out, but, hey, it's offseason content. Let's get to grinding with it, right? And we will also do our weekly look around the league. We've been doing it all offseason. We've been taking a look at some teams, right? I think last week we took a look at Florida. We've been going through the teams that you guys are most familiar with and see on an annual basis here in the Southeastern Conference. Tonight, as you can see via the title, is Alabama. And I will tell you this. It is probably our most in-depth and comprehensive study and kind of biopic we've done on a football team so far on this look around series. Right. We're going to really like pull the curtain back on what I think is an obvious, like not necessarily a decline, but explain some things that's going on out there in Tuscaloosa as uh, the season approaches here in 2023. But before we get into all of that, I want to ask you to hit that thumbs up button on the channel. Hit that like, subscribe, rate, and review, all that good stuff. I want to remind you that we are available on all podcast platforms. Just check us out. Search the Film Guy Network, however, wherever you find your podcast. would also like your support over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. It's a great time of the year to be over there. We've got some very unique content coming up. Going to be watching some film with some former players. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be active. It's going to be a very unique perspective over there on patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. There also is some more other stuff we're going to talk about as the night goes on. But make sure you're over there. Uh, before we get too far into tonight's show, I kind of want to talk about, you know, it's, it is mock draft season. It, we are approaching April. The draft will be here probably before you know it. Um, it's. I mean, these things happen really, really quickly, it seems, in the offseason, and we're ne- nearing ever so closely to draft season. So that as these mocks start to come out and as they continue to come out as we near the draft, these are kind of more representative of what actual people are hearing and what their kind of feelers are around the league. So when a guy like Mel Kuyper, say what you want about that man's strong hair, when a man with that strong a hair comes onto on to the, the, the internet waves and starts talking about the draft, you all to listen a little bit, um, despite his hit rate. Nonetheless, it is a kind of a feeler and a representation of what it is that, uh, you know, what it is that y- he's getting back in terms of feedback from NFL uh, decision makers and general managers that you would presume that a guy like Mel Kuyper is talking to. And in his latest mock draft, uh, he's got four Georgia Bulldogs going in the first round. And I think these are the four that will, are, I wouldn't say are guaranteed to go in the first round. But these guys, seemingly across the board, wherever you trust your mock draft seasons, and whether you where, wherever you trust your mock draft uh, mock draft content rather, um, these four names seem to be consistent first round locks, if you will. With the fifth being a guy who's kind of hit or miss, whether or not he's going to make it. Uh, of course, Jalen Carter stays in the top ten here. In Mel Kiper's draft, goes sixth overall to the Detroit Lions. Look. I know there's been a lot of uh, impact on Jalen Carter's draft status and his, uh, you know, his uh, draft capital or whatever um, projection, if you will, since all of these things have happened since the combine. I think it was April. I can't remember. March 4th, I believe, was the first day with the news broken by his charges uh, with re- relations to the racing event on uh, January 15th. Uh, I, I don't think there's any way. He gets past eight with the Falcons. I just think he's entirely too talented. The people that I talk to around the league, the the agents that I talk to in the business, those types of people just don't see him getting outside the top 10. And I don't necessarily see it either. And I will tell you this, man, I I think the way the quarterback market developed with there actually being three guys that a lot of teams have like high-end first-round grades on. And by the way, if you have a first-round grade on a quarterback, you have a 1v1 one overall one evaluation on that quarterback. If you are willing to take him in the first round, if you think he is a franchise guy, you are willing to trade what it takes to get to one to take that guy, right? There are three of those in this draft. You will continue to see, I would imagine, leveraging in that top four or five picks to make sure if teams want a quarterback, they can get into the position where they want to get them, right? So that top three or four or five picks every year, if there are multiple quarterbacks, guys, position players are going to slide no matter what, because teams are making sure they get into the position where they get their quarterback. Because if you miss on a D-tackle, sitting number three, and he goes number two, that's okay. You can replace D-tackles. But if you are quarterback hungry and you sit back on your heels and get picked off with a team in front of you and you no longer have your guy, then you go a whole another draft without a quarterback and a whole other season. It's a completely different impact on your roster. So I think nonetheless, no matter what would have happened, Maybe if all of this stuff doesn't come out, if there are no uh, questions around Jalen Carter's draft status, maybe he goes one overall to Chicago. Maybe they never tra- trade out anyways. I find that dubious. I-, I I find that doubtful because I I would think, I would imagine, that somebody would leverage to get up into there and have the opportunity to pick and choose the quarterback that they want, just like Carolina has already done in this draft. I think they traded two firsts and two seconds um, and some picks in next year's draft along with DJ Moore. They had to trade a bunch of assets to make sure that they get their quarterback. That would have happened nonetheless, I believe, in this draft. So, yeah, I I think the sixth overall to the Lions, they certainly could use some interior defensive line help. That seems like a great, uh, you know, kind of slide in. He's going to start no matter where he goes. It's going to be a good pick no matter where he goes. He's an NFL football player. And guess what? No matter if you're an odd or an even front team, you're going to slide him into a three-tech or you're going to slide him into a four-eye. He's going to play great football um, as long as he's on the football field for your football team. Now, the the next selection – He's a guy that is rocketing up the boards, and it's Nolan Smith at 12. And I'll be honest with you, 12 is rich for my blood. Okay, I'm, I am a Nolan Smith believer. I am a Nolan Smith advocate. I think Nolan Smith is a first-round draft pick. But I think Nolan Smith, the best fit for him would be to go to a football team that is playoff caliber now and is one quality starter away from being a Super Bowl football team. I feel like if you get selected 12th overall to a football team like the Houston Texans, all of a sudden your expectations early on in your career, especially being drafted as a six foot three, 245 pound edge rusher that went 4 3 9 at the combine, that fan base who knows very little about Nolan Smith most likely will expect him to be a 10 sack football player. And that is not what Nolan Smith is. Nolan Smith is a great football player, an A-plus football player, 99.9% of snaps. He is great on first down, second down, and above average on third down. But he is not some specialist right now from the sack department. That's going to be a couple years. But if you're a football team that needs someone to be NFL ready and you are one, eight, like 190 overall grade every Sunday away at the outside linebacker position from winning that playoff game or winning that Super Bowl, Nolan Smith is your draft pick, but if you need your fan base to believe in some high ceiling, this guy might be a 12 sack. He might have a hundred sacks in his career for us in this roster or like in this organization. I don't know. I don't know if those expectations right now are where he needs to be drafted. I think he's a great, like I said, starter in the NFL. He's going to be one for 12 years. Um, He's an eight and a half sack guy. He is a, a, a drop and make plays in space guy. He is a leader of your organization guy. He is pay him a hundred million dollars over his career guy just when you get into that top 15 when you get into that top 10 type of evaluation of draft picks those come with different expectations from a fan base expectations that you know i don't think nolan meets immediately i don't think he's a 10 sack guy immediately um broderick jones he's gonna be drafted uh apparently according to my uh this latest mock draft 13th overall to the new york jets i think it's a solid pick I think that's where he's going to go. He's going to be OT2, OT3, maybe OT1, take it off in this draft. Um, as the film evaluation continues, people are going to realize this dude's a freak. The only thing that scares me of going to an organization like New York is they have a tendency to get tackles hurt. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just bad luck. I don't know if it's just a stroke of uh, or, or a bad run of, of, of performances. But like Makai Beckman. He's been in the league three years. He's played 15 football games. That can't happen to Broderick. I doubt it happens to Broderick. It's weird, man. The super, super athletic freaks at this position, particularly offensive line, I'm not going to say they rarely get hurt. It's just not something that happens. Because You know why? Their feet are never in the ground. right? Their feet are always moving. They have great spatial awareness. They know where other bodies are. People like this don't get hurt. I think Broderick's going to be a great, great NFL football player. Also think that his best football is still ahead of him, and you'll see him drafted as such. Um, but the, that first end, that that top end, that OT one, you want a high ceiling and a high floor. Uh, you want the best, and I think the kid from Northwestern is probably the best combination of that. Uh, you come out of the Big Ten with three years worth of starts, you're clean, you're ready to go um, in the NFL. That the history says that, uh, and, and and the fourth Georgia Bulldog that I think is at this point kind of a lock for a first round draft selection. Is Darnell Washington. And now Mel's got him going 28th overall to the Bengals. And if we could just talk about that specific selection, here's the deal about Darnell. And football people will know this. Okay. Here's what I, here's how I described it Joe Burrow is a chess to the defense quarterback. Okay. He is a processor, he is a computer on the field. His best trait is to identify what's happening and know where we are to beat that. That requires his eyes to the defense. Who else is like this? Tom Brady is like this a lot. He likes to have his chest to the defense a lot. Peyton Manning was always in shotgun, unless he was running play action occasionally, right? Drew Brees, always in shotgun. These are chest to the defense quarterbacks. Joe Burrow is a chest to the defense quarterback. You will not see them, despite the fact that uh, their their head coach up there is a uh, Sean McVay disciple, you will not see them run a lot of heavy under center play action. That is not who they are, okay? Okay. In fact, they are kind of like a, a modern LSU version. They are very widespread. I mean, if you go back and watch, even in the snow against Buffalo, they're in shotgun the entire time, three or two, three by one, maybe an H-back, maybe an H-back. Okay, that's who they were. That's who they are. That's who that quarterback is. Darnell Washington is a under center, like, hand in the dirt, end of line, tight end, got to have play action, heavily involved in the, in the offense type of tight end. Like, he is an attached – hand in the ground guy and there aren't a lot of offenses that do the chest to the defense quarterback play that required this type of tight end okay if you look at the history of tight ends that have had success in these type of offenses there's not a lot of there's a lot of Ben Watsons that uh Ben Watsons that had a lot of success with Drew Brees right there's a lot of uh Rob Gronkowski's that are great after the catch. They had a lot of success. Great uh, route runners and separators that had great success with Tom Brady. Right, it's Dallas Clark with Peyton Manning that had a lot of success. Okay, these guys are not slender builds. Okay, or excuse me, they are not mountain of men's. They're almost all slender builds and, and, and great uh, route runners and great separators and great after the catch. Okay, great get open now, guys. Um, not necessarily Darnell's traits. What I, I think there are a litany of teams, however. That actually still do what you know San Francisco does, what Atlanta now does under Arthur Smith, what LA does with Sean McVay, right? What Tennessee does still under their offensive coordinator up there and Mike Vrabel's identity as a football team. There are football teams in this, this league that are still heavy 12 tight, are still heavy in the inline tight end. Those are the teams that need to be drafting Darnell, not chest up quarterback throwing plays or, or teams. Now, that, that being said, if you're Cincinnati and you just heard that spill and you're like, well, damn, what if we want to be? What, what, if, what if we want to have the ability to do so? Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe you do draft a guy like Darnell Washington. But if you're counting right there with just those three guys on, from the, this year's, this past year's defense, right, or two guys rather, Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith, um, that would bring the total of first rounders from the 2021 defense to seven. Seven football players from that that historic, historic 2021 defense. Um, becoming first-round draft picks. And I was racking my brain earlier. I don't think there's any additional ones that haven't already been picked off that team that aren't already in the league, right? Because N'Kobe, Channing, those guys weren't first-rounders, but they're already gone. That's nine. Chris Smith, he's not going to be a first-rounder. That's 10. And Keely Ringo, that's 11. So Keely Ringo, who is the fifth here, right? He's that – I mean, he might go 45th overall. He might go 55th overall. He might go 29th overall. There is a wide variance on what people believe Kyler Ringo's status to be in this NFL draft, um, but he's going to be a top 55, top 60 pick nonetheless. Um, he could swing this total to eight, right? He could swing this total of first-rounders to eight. I, I think that would be rather ridiculous at this point. Uh, glad you guys could be here with us, man. We are, again, creeping closer and closer to NFL draft season, and I've always said – while covering especially since NIL has like crept its way ever so uh much so into college football the one of the most important counter like arguments to NIL is this NFL money right the fact that these seven first rounders they're going to be a, they're going to amount a, a, a total contract value of like a quarter billion dollars okay there is no NIL package in the world that can prepare you for that There is not. There is no NIL package that can pay you what a first-round NFL deal will. I don't care if you're a five-star. It it doesn't happen. There aren't money out here like that. There isn't, I should say, money out here like that. So um, you guys know the schools that are producing them. You guys know the schools now that are developing these types of football players on a consistent basis. Okay, It is Georgia. LSU had that one stint. Ohio State seems to do the receiver thing really, really well. But they haven't had a defensive end since Chase Young or Nick, Nick Bosa, not a defensive player since any corner. They do corner, edges, Bosa brothers and Chase Young, and quarterbacks really well. Okay, Bama is doing it really well still. We're going to get to them here in a second. But there are a lot of football teams that are kind of hit and miss, right? Iowa's got like the seventh most players in the NFL. But there are there is one school right now that says, hey, if you come in here and you're a four or a five-star and you play on this roster and you you do what you are supposed to, you will be a first-round draft pick. It's not guaranteed, but damn, especially on this defense, seven of 11, perhaps eight of 11 from one unit, going to get first-round money. That's that's almost guaranteed. That's a lot. That's a lot of high percentages that if you start at Georgia, you're going to get some high-quality NFL money. I can't say the same about other programs right now. Um, so that, that that would be the pitch if I were George out on the recruiting trail. Because again, I have a bad habit of sitting here like playing with my wedding ring, sliding it in and off when I'm on show and I just slid it off and it fell underneath my desk. So That's unfortunate. Uh, hey, great show. As I told you, hit that thumbs up button. Um, we're going to move on to the next segment. One thing I am terrible about and I don't know. I, everyone else has like, uh, you know, crutches, whether it be like ads, or they're going to throw it to commercial, or they got co-host, or what? I got producer telling them how to do it, or whether they write them. My transitions awful. On this network and this channel, we go from topic A to like the channel to topic B, and it is super. Sh- I mean, super clunky in between topics. when I'm telling you to like the channel, sorry for the clunkiness. No, I'm not. 24-7 Sports, shouts out. Uh, published an article today talking about the most hostile environments in the sport of college football this year. I think they did 11 hostile environments. Um, Primo. And I, I'm, I do not say this sarcastically. Primo off-season content. I mean, that shit right there is just, that's just elite, elite off-season stuff right there. Um, Got us to click it. So let's take a look at it, right? Um, couple of really good matchups, obviously. Uh the Iron Bowls on there. Uh Michigan State, Penn State play, or excuse me, excuse me. Michigan and Penn State play this year, uh, at Penn State. Uh Florida plays at LSU this year, as usual. Um, and Ohio State and Michigan play as usual. Um, but number one on the list this year, most hostile environment in the twenty on the twenty twenty three calendar was or is according to twenty four seven sports. Uh, Georgia going on the road to Neyland Stadium to play Tennessee. Okay, I think that game's in the middle of October. Um, actually, early October. I think it's early October. Maybe, maybe November. Look at this guy really prepared for this segment. Um, nonetheless, uh, huge, huge football game for the University of Georgia this coming up season. And you guys have looked at the schedule. You know. It's kind of the only test, like super big test on the schedule. South Carolina is going to be an experienced football team. They're going to be a well-coached football team. You get them at home, okay, I think early on in the schedule too. So South Carolina and Tennessee seem to be the only, like, competent football teams in the SEC East this coming year. I say that super early right now. But, I mean, Kentucky's starting a new quarterback. Uh, Tennessee starting a new quarterback. Uh, we just included them in the competency Florida oof uh right I mean Vanderbilt okay we, Missouri right you guys know the deal what the conference looks like there isn't many tough ones on this schedule but you could make the argument honestly that this game against Tennessee coming up this year is arguably like going to be the most hostile environment that Kirby Smart has ever taken a football team into Wow shock awe statement right there right you absolutely took over notre dame in 2017 up there in south bend i mean it was half georgia fans maybe three quarters okay in the 2020 season when you had a, a tough road game uh against alabama like COVID, so that just doesn't count right you just knock that off there's no fans there that would have been absolutely epic would have been the biggest football game of the regular season uh, outside, yeah, no, Notre Dame wouldn't even been that big. It would have been the biggest regular season football game in, in, in Kirby Smart's history. It was a COVID football game. There were 18,000 fans in the stands. Um, I mean, 2018 LSU, that was a big road game, but it wasn't a game for very long, right? You You've had, like, hostile environments with a lot of stakes in football games, but this is going to be one of the most insane, assuming Georgia doesn't buy it out again, I, I don't know much about Tennessee fans. Um, but as Luke Herndon in the comments says right here, I I don't think you're gonna be able to just buy out Neyland Stadium. I, I don't I don't know again, I don't know how I know their I know their collective pockets are deep. I know that pilot money runs deep. I know that Haslam money runs deep. I know that, but I I don't know about the fan base, I don't know about the season ticket holder money. I don't know how deep that runs. I know they came down here this year and told everybody on social media they were going to uh, checkerboard or whatever, uh, Sanford Stadium, that they were going to buy all the tickets in Sanford Stadium. That money ran short then. They, they didn't show up in droves this year like they claimed that they were going to do based off what we saw. Okay, so there's that, and there's the, uh, the possibility that Georgia definitely does do this. Georgia shows up and they throw that dog money everywhere. Y'all do. Y'all y'all do that. Okay. Throw it over to patreon.com forward slash house while you Okay. Y'all throw that dog money everywhere. Okay. Um, are you going to take over Neyland Stadium this year? I don't know. Nonetheless, that's 107, I think 104, 104,000, something like that. A uh, lot of orange, a lot of ugly, and uh, a lot of yelling and mustard bottles. So it could get ugly. And could get ugly from a hostile like environment situation, not a you getting beat situation. I, I don't know if that necessarily happens because of the defense. Um, and we haven't gotten into it. It's a ways away. I'm I'm not like like Team Joe Milton. That's not that's not me. Not not a Joe Milton stand over here. Okay, I got some obvious flaws in that football game. Layering the football is very very important, it's particularly when teams play a lot of man like Georgia's is going to the rest of the time. hypels at uh, at Tennessee. Long way away from that football game. But nonetheless, it's going to be a big one, and you're going to have a quarterback, whoever wins the job. We presume it to be Carson Beck. Whoever wins the job is going to be going into their real first true road test, like their real first one, their first big one. Like, damn, it's loud, and it's, like, really loud. And, uh yeah, so – and this is a good football team, right? You would imagine Tennessee by that point in the season um, has a, a pretty sh- solid record. I would imagine they're still – Hanging around somewhere in the top ten, I think they get Alabama just before that. Um, just before that game, the comments are telling me it's late November. So yeah, there you go. I think it's November tenth. So there we go. Let's get into the next one. Um, you know, we've we've been talking for a while about looks around the league. We've been we've been taking a look at other teams in the conference and just kind of observing them, observing, observing. Observe, observing. We've been observing them from afar. Today, as I told you in the, the, the lead up to tonight's show, I think I put in more deep thought. We're not going to run through the depth chart of Alabama in our look around right now, but we're going to try to get to the, the core of the philosophy um, and, and the identity ideology change, rather over the last couple of years in Alabama. We're not going to be here for cultural talk. Um, but Alabama is in a very unique situation right now um, because 2023, I think is a, like a, a consequential year to what it is that the Alabama dynasty is. Right. I have never been one to sit here and say, Hey, Bama's on the decline for me. It takes like multiple 10 and two regular seasons, like multiple um before we do that um but they've been in the news as of late and been in kind of question and 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 everything's been going on right the latest news as you uh, I i would imagine you have heard by now holy hell what a bad segment um there's been a lot of talk over the past few weeks regarding alabama both on a basketball standpoint and a football standpoint the word culture gets thrown around a lot i don't necessarily think that when a freshman football player is driving 141 miles an hour with over eight ounces of marijuana and a weapon in the car, and the passenger happens to take credit for all of that when getting pulled over after evading arrest, I don't think that speaks directly towards Alabama football as a whole. I think that speaks to that individual that made that decision. Just like I come on this channel, and I tell you over and over and over again over the last two months as it's become a huge what's up with Georgia's culture discussion, That a group of, you know, really young people made a bunch of bad decisions in one singular night and two of them paid for it with their life. Well, this young man who made a really, really bad decision, criminal decision, will pay for it, possibly with his freedom. That has uh, very little to do with some macro discussion about Alabama cultural uh, talks or whether or not they got some some type of systemic issue over there in Alabama. We don't do that. Um, so as we've talked about this before, and we will nip this in the bud, and then we'll talk about the actual football team. Um, one individual mistake from a young person, young people do stupid things all the time. This is a prime example of that. Um, and wow, whoa, whoa, what a bad decision. Um, oh, I forgot the seven grand he had on, on him as well. So yeah, he... Don't, nothing to be said right bad decision really really bad decision um a, a, a no go as far as that goes. but let's talk about the football team. um Bama is still Bama. as I just told you in my opinion, Bama is still to be respected to be number two on the preseason polls to do all that stuff to be uh you know one of the three favorites to in Vegas to win the national title all those good things. Bama is still Bama until they start stacking and I mean consistently stacking 10 and two regular seasons nine and three what where did that come from? Right. When they start doing that on a consistent basis, then we can start talking about whether or not they're, uh, you know, extinguished. But they are vulnerable. Okay, We knew early on, very early on, that Jalen Hurts was a guy. I think he won the first 25 starts of his career. I mean, he got playing time as a true freshman and it was very clear. Jalen Hurts, great quarterback. This is a winning national title caliber quarterback for the University of Alabama. Tua Tagovailoa was so damn good as a freshman that he pushed that guy out. That's how good that dude was immediately when he got on campus. Mac Jones stuck around for three years, and all he did in a 13-game season was throw for 4,500 yards and like 40-some-odd touchdowns, okay, and finished second in the Heisman. Not too shabby. Then they had that Bryce Young guy. He was pretty damn good, too, right? Over the last six years, Alabama has had not only consistent quarterback play and, and like, known answers, but they've had elite quarterback play. Like, top end, like, top five annually in the Heisman race-type quarterback play. Now, okay, they may or may not have the next one in Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson, but I just went through six years, over a half of a decade, of a football program recruiting at an elite level and within seven months knowing that the guy that they're about to have to turn to is going to be the one. And here we are, and we don't really know, right? It could be Milrow. It could be Simpson. Milrow, super traitsy dude, can absolutely make every throw, super athletic. Ty Simpson, the intangibles play. I mean, he is Jake Fromm, folks. We're going to see, but I, I evaluated Ty Simpson out of high school. That is a, he's going to get us in the right play coach win, right? That, that As coach's son, hard worker, doesn't have all the plus plus traits in the world. Great college quarterback on the horizon could be. Limited ceiling. Other guy. Tremendous ceiling. Low floor. Don't know what we're going to get day to day. That's the lookout. That's the outlook right now at the quarterback position. But here's the thing. Here's the real thing. Okay, let's talk coordinators. Let's talk coordinators. For the second time in three seasons, Alabama's undergoing a coordinator change on offense, okay? They are now twice removed, two regimes removed from Steve Sarkeesian. Georgia will go through this eventually, right? You're in the second regime of Munkin. You are now running Georgia offense, okay? You've heard Kirby Smart this spring. We're not changing much. We're putting a new sprinkle on it, putting a new verbiage on it. Might might tinker some things, but we are who we are. We are running Georgia offense. Over the last three years, Munkin was there to instill and create the identity of Georgia offense. Now you are in the second generation of Georgia offense. And that's okay. But once you lose a generational play designer only to try to keep the system intact with a new little flavor, that's fine until multiple generations become removed. Okay? I got some of my daddy in me. I promise you right now, there's a lot of what I do, a lot of habits that I have created. A lot of, th- a lot of uh, thoughts that I have, okay, that come from who my father was, right? But my son's going to have much less of that than I had, right? Two generations removed, okay? The third generation theory, if you will, okay? So when you lose Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama, it's great that Bill O'Brien can come in here and speak that Spanish that was the Sarkeesian offense. But dude, as soon as we get into year three, or it's rather the third generation, things get really squirrely. Generations get altered. People are different. Identities change. Ideologies change. Things start to fall apart. And if you do not believe me, if you do not believe this third generation theory that you should damn sure fear if you have created your ideology around one individual or one system or one ideology, that third generation, okay, look at Alabama's defense, okay? Everybody wants to do the Kirby take. And it's really, really easy. Everybody does the, oh, Alabama done fell off since Kirby left. Yeah. A lot of great players that that dude recruited. A lot of great culturalisms that that dude installed into that football program. But guys, they were allowing 15.1 points per game in 2015. The last year Kirby Smart was there. That's a great defense. It's a really great defense. It's a national title contending defense. The years after he left in 2016 and 2017, under the next generation of Alabama defense that Kirby Smart and Glenn Schumann and Nick Saban and that ideology created in those seven years leading up to Kirby's departure, okay? That next regime under Pruitt, when they were just keeping keeping the thing, keeping, keeping keeping on, keeping on, everything was good. In fact, some would argue it got better. Guys, in 2016 and 17 under Pruitt at Alabama, the first two years Kirby was gone, They averaged 13 points and 11.9 points per game allowed on defense respectively. They got better. They were a full four points better two years after Kirby Smart left. But guess what? As soon as the second generation left, right? As soon as the Bill O'Brien in this situation left, as soon as Jeremy Pruitt took a job in Tennessee, guess what happens? Lupoy gives up 19 points per game the next year. Gets fired immediately. They bring in the next guy, right? They bring in Pete Golden, in-house hire. Up- upgrade you, right? Give him four years. And guess what he does? He performs at the same rate Lupoy Le- did in the third generation for four years before they fire him. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you that it's fine. The next guy that picks up a, a, a defensive system with the same football players and gets to drive that machine that you built, he runs it great until it needs an oil change. He runs it great until the transmission needs to get fixed. He runs it great until the AC unit goes out. And then it's like, oh, shit, we don't know. We don't know what to do, right? Until that third generation starts creeping in. That's when the fall off happens. Okay, and again, you at Georgia, guys, y'all will experience this whenever, if ever, Bobo happens to leave this program and you go into the third generation of whatever it is Georgia offense now looks like, like the further, in, in other words, the further you get departed from the guy that instilled what it is that you do, it's not going to look like what you did. You know what I'm saying? Alabama is playing great defense still, guys. They're averaging 19 points per game allowed over the last five seasons, okay, since Pruitt left, since the third regime, right? Right. Since the third generation of this defense that Kirby Smart and Glenn Schumann and Nick Saban created, they are still allowing 19 points per game per, 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 uh, per game over the last five years. That still puts them in the top 10 annually. They're still playing good defense. But there is a random-ass uh, 45 points to Texas a and 52 points to Tennessee. They got uh, drummed up for 35, couldn't stop the bleeding against Arkansas a couple years ago. They have these random performances. They have performances over the last couple of years where you give up 250 yards on the ground to Florida and you seem like you can't stop a nosebleed. Like that happens. That didn't happen under Kirby. That didn't happen under Pruitt. And now it seems to happen. The biggest fear for me, if I were an Alabama fan, listen to this, not the defense. The defense is going to keep performing at a 20-point per game clip, 19-point game per clip. You can win like that in college football. That's fine. You can win. You can win national titles like that playing college football. LSU proved that a couple years ago. Alabama proved that a couple years ago. Georgia is, in fact, the uh, anomaly in that situation. But this offensive theory, this third regime of offense, that scares me if I'm an Alabama fan. Because, guys, it was Sark and then O'Brien and now Tommy Reese, who is a Kelly background guy. It's a Brian Kelly guy. It's a Notre Dame guy. That's not, it's not a SART guy. It's not an NFL guy that's multiple that can just pick up whatever he's putting down. This is probably, for the first time in a couple of years, going to be the brand-new version of Alabama. It's going to be a brand-new look, Alabama, offensively. Good or bad, we'll have to see, nonetheless. Um, let's talk about the defensive coordinator. I, you know, Kevin Steele's had a bad couple of runs. I mean, some bad ones. Uh, the, the end of the Auburn run was kind of ugly you know there, there was a stint there where I think he was a coach at Tennessee too um and then the 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 stuff at Miami last year was ugh I mean ugh right there was I mean there's a game in I guess Middle Tennessee State I think they gave up 600 yards total offense some really bad stuff there's also like multiple times a year where entire defensive systems are stealing from Kevin Steele you want to know one? I got one right now off the top of my head. Remember that time against LSU in 2019 when Georgia came out in some odd looking 3 3 like seven? They came, or it was a 3 2 7. They came out with three down linemen, two linebackers, Lewis Seen playing in the middle of five DBs. Do y'all remember that? Guess who did that first? Kevin Steele against LSU. In that if you look back in the in, in the, the game logs of 2019 against LSU, the team that held LSU to the fewest amount of points, Kevin Steele's Auburn team. They were not a good football team. They were not a good defense. They stopped that LSU team for four quarters. I shouldn't say they were not. They had three elite defensive linemen. I think that was the last year of uh, maybe Brown in there. But nonetheless, they this guy, Kevin Steele in particular, will occasionally design just absolute just hummers of a defensive game plan. My only thing is, is I, I don't, Kevin Steele's never been a 4-2-5 nickel guy, which is what Alabama runs. So – we have a, a legitimate like opportunity that Alabama both comes out looking completely different offensively and defensively this year. I don't think that's to happen, but it would be the most logical sense if you are Nick Saban. If you're Nick Saban, why would you hire Kevin Steele to come in who is an odd front guy, not a not a multiple four down front, four two five nickel guy? My understanding is Kevin Steele is a true odd front three three guy. That's what he's always been. So like, He's played, he's coached a lot of football, so maybe he can be multiple, but I don't know. It's just not, these aren't two hires that fit the ideology that they've created, which leads me to believe they're either going to force these coaches who don't do this to do what they do, or they're completely changing either way, alerts, alerts up out there in Alabama. Um, I think we're good think we're good. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button on the way out, man. Um, yeah, appreciate you guys. Love you guys. We'll see y'all soon.